Good morning. I mean, I assume it's a good morning. Some of your faces are telling a different story. That's okay, though. We're going to have some fun today. We're going to go through some healing. It's going to be good. This is our second message in our series, uh, Getting Past Your Past. And last week we talked about mistakes that we had made. Now, you may be exempt from mistakes, but we decided pretty much last week that all of us are kind of in the mistake category. Now, today we're going to talk about the fact that people were hurt when those mistakes were made and what to do about that. Today, I feel like what God wants me to do is to give you a, um, the right slide to start with. I'm advancing here. I'm just an advancing kind of guy. Um, to give you some tools to help you move on of your past. So I don't know what I'm dealing with today as far as where your hearts are. I usually am encountering people from week to week who are dealing with some heartbrokenness, uh, some brokenness, some grief, some things that uh, are recurring in life. And if you find yourself stuck and you find yourself reacting to the same things in life in the same way and they're generally bad, the way the reaction's bad, then it's usually because you're stuck somewhere. So today I really want to give you some tools to get over the stuckness, okay? Got it? Stuckness. That word will stuck, stick, stuck, stick, right? It'll stick with it and everything is stuck. So... Today, we, as we talk about the fact that people are hurt, um, we, we look at a, I want to th- start with where we are in life and what we have to deal with. So are you with me or are you awake? Amen. Some of you guys seem, uh, I don't know, maybe I need to fire you up a little bit, have a rah-rah session, I don't know. Anyway, it was a good job today, worship team, by the way, you guys did great. You guys familiar with um, this? Oh, come on, computers, I love computers. By that, I mean, I don't like them that much. You guys familiar with that picture? Come on, make it, make it. That's the success kid. That's what he's known as. This is one of the first first memes to go viral right here. Success. The actual first meme said, I hate sandcastles. And you got this kid here holding his fist, fist up like that. I don't know if you know his story. This is Sammy Grenier. His mother, Lainey, took this picture on a beach one day. And um, actually, he really likes sandcastles, she says. But nonetheless, the picture went on Flickr, and it went viral. And most of you have seen it if you've you know, been on the Internet or the interweb or whatever you call it where you're coming from. I, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a window in Sammy's life for just for a second. First of all, Sammy was born pre, I mean, he was born uh, six months, six weeks premature. Six months would be a challenge. Six, six weeks premature. And he required brain surgery right away. He had a hydrocephalus fluid on the brain, which is, children have about a, there's a one in 20 chance that that will take your life. And so that was how Sammy came into the world. Before Sammy was even born, his dad, Justin, was diagnosed with kidney failure. So he was on dialysis for, for a number of years. And he finally came to a point that his dad was, uh, he needed, he had to have a kidney. And they, could, they did not have the financial means to prove that they could afford the anti-rejection drugs going forward. And so his mom didn't really want to do it, Lainey, but she finally took um, this picture and uh, a, set up a GoFundMe account and asked people to help. And they, they needed $75,000 and collected $100,000. And so Sammy's picture at two saved his dad's life a few years later. So it's a cool story, right? Sammy's 12 today, by the way, so it's not that old of a picture. Um, I wanted to tell you that story because I want you to understand that everybody in life has difficulties. And sometimes we don't know the story behind the difficulties, or we don't know. We, we look at other people's lives and think, because it looks better than ours, that, that they're not struggling like we are. But I know, after talking to like thousands of people over the years, that everybody's struggling with something, you know? And so today, I, I want us to, to learn, get some tools so we can move forward out of those struggles. 
Henry Cloud says this in one of his books. He says, if we can't coexist with good and bad, we will have a hard time living in this world. Guys, we live in a world where good and bad things happen, and we have to learn to deal with it. Today we're going to look at what God's Word has to say about it, So, and, and how God's Word can help us. Jesus agreed, or actually Henry Cloud agreed with Jesus. Jesus doesn't agree with anybody. People agree with him. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, one translation says, in the world, you'll have many trials and sorrows. Many trials and sorrows. And Jesus said that, okay? But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. Ephesians 5.16 says, make the most of every opportunity. We like that part, but you got to remember there's a phrase at the end of it that says, in these evil days. So we live in a world where good and bad things are happening. And the problem that we often encounter is that we are runners. Are there any runners in the house? What do I mean by runners? We, we, we go to, like we have a friend. We meet them. Isn't it great when you make a new friend because you don't know anything about them? They could be awesome. You don't know. <laughs> then you find out they're normal like everybody else. And you have problems. And you, and you run into a situation where you get hurt. And so you run from that friendship to the next friendship. Or maybe it's the job. You go to the job thinking it's going to be wonderful. And then you find out it's a job. They have to pay you to be there, okay? <laughs> you remember this. If they have to pay you to be there, it may not be the greatest thing in the world, okay? So, and so it's a job, and you run into problems, and you realize this job is just like my last job. And the only consistent between your last job and this job is you, by the way, but I'm just throwing that out there. And so you, you, you get disappointed with this job, and you go find another job. For some people, it's, it's relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, marriages even. You, you feel like this is it. This is the one, and this one's going to work out, but it doesn't. And then you get hurt, and when you get hurt, you run away. And you try to, you're looking for some life with no pain. Doesn't exist. There is no such life with no pain. I know, it's painful. So, the minute it shows up, we run. Here's the thing. You can't ignore it. You can't positive attitude your way around it. Manure is a great thing spread out, but you stack it up and it stinks, right? Yep. Life has a lot of pain. Got to learn how to spread it out, but that's not today's sermon. I just thought I'd throw that in there for fun because it made me laugh on the inside. All right. <laughs> so how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal with the pain in life? Because it sounds really discouraging. So let's jump into the Word of God. First chapter, First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. So be truly glad. Oh, good. Man, Peter's got a positive attitude. Stick with me. Stick with me. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. <clears throat> so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So yeah. Pain is a part of life. And so, instead of ignoring that and pretending it's not a thing, let's, let's address the thing. Let's live a life that can exist with the good and the bad rather than just running from the bad. Are you with me so far? So, let's think about this. Let's jump into the pain thing, and let's admit a couple things. First of all, the first, let's make two admissions. First admission, I have been hurt. You don't have to say it out loud, 
But everybody in this room has been hurt by something. Two of my favorite books are by John Eldridge, and the second one's by John and Stacy Eldridge. It's called Wild at Heart, which deals with the father wound and the mother wound for men. And the other one's Captivating, deals with the father wound, mother wound for women. And, and several other things as well. I recommend the books to everybody. I, I, don't, I don't think you should get married without reading those books. And you definitely should read those books before you have kids. Or as soon as you find out about them and you have kids. You'll see so much of what's going on. What you'll see is how that there's a world that's intentionally attacking the, the, your children. And, and gender has something to do with it. And those kind of things. So we, we, it doesn't matter how good your family was. You may have a great home life. You have great childhood memories. It may have been very, very difficult. It may have been abusive. It may have been cruel. Either way, you take wounds from your mom and dad, not regardless of what they do. Because, one, you were immature when you were a child. Were you aware of that, that you, that you were immature? Two, the enemy attacks us as every chance that he gets, okay? So we've been hurt, and we come out of our, our birth families with hurt. But there's also life, and people betray us. And people hurt us. And we have losses. And we make mistakes that make our life harder. And we endure attacks that come from other places. There are so many hurts. I, I couldn't even, I'd I, I bore you to death just listing off hurts today. And I could never hit everybody's particular hurt that you might be dealing with this very morning. But life is filled with hurts. And, and this is one of the reasons I really love the Bible, because the Bible. So many of the stories either contain or are gathered around a hurt, sometimes an extraordinary hurt, sometimes an ordinary hurt. I think of some of the, the characters in the Bible, like Rahab's one of my favorites. She's, she's mentioned eight times in the Bible and six times by her profession, prostitute. How, how, how horrible it is to be labeled by your sin, you know? And I think of Rahab's heart. Sarah's one, Abraham's wife. Yeah, she's the mother of promise, but man, her story, you read Abram's early decisions, he put Sarah in some terrible situations, and there was nothing she could do about it. And I think of the hurt that Sarah endured and the woman that that made her into be. But I also think of John the Baptist. Man, you, you, John the Baptist one of the cooler guys. I mean, he'd be like the biker of the Old Testament, you know, he's wearing leather and eating bugs. Now, I don't have any biker friends that eat bugs, but I wouldn't put it past some of them. I'm just saying. Actually, riding a bike, you can eat quite a few bugs if you don't have a windshield, but that's a, another story, and I got a June bug story I'll tell you bikers sometimes, but that's uh, not for today. John the Baptist is the guy, he's the last prophet of the Old Covenant, and so his, one of his parting words, one series close to his end, he says, I must decrease so that he can increase. The old covenant decreases, the new covenant increases. And so you see, you see, even though that's the will of God, there's pain in that thing, you know? How about Peter? Peter brought, had a lot of pain in his life. He failed Jesus, man. After he'd been so brave and, and, and so mouthy and like, man, I'll never bail on you, Christ. And then that, that's the very thing he does is he bails on Jesus. And so life is just filled with hurt. But here's the thing. Healing is available to you. Jesus died for the hurts. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the hurts, for the sins, for the mistakes, for everything. The Bible says in Isaiah 61.1, Jesus quoted this as his mission statement in Luke chapter 4. 
Isaiah 61.1, the word of God says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to confront comfort, I'm sorry, comfort the brokenhearted, and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. The only thing keeping you from the healing of the broken, hurt places in your life is the fact that you're hiding from them. We do it all the time. We hide from our pain. We don't want to go deal with that again. We don't want to go there. And so when we don't go there, a wound that does not heal just gets infected. And I know what some of you are thinking, because some of you are tough, and some of you are like, I cowboy up. It's what I do. I'm from Wyoming. I get it. And you say, well, that's just the way life is. Suck it up, buttercup. It's just life just hurts. You ever said that? Um, I just, that's stupid. That's just dumb. And, and I'm not calling you dumb. I'm just, what you said, that was dumb. Or what you were thinking, what your heart's telling you. That's probably not even your heart. That's the enemy trying to keep you wounded. Why? What soldier goes to battle... Because in battle, you get hurt. That's what battle is. It's wounds. What soldier goes to battle, takes his wounds, and then walks off the battlefield, walks right past the medical tent, and says, hey, that's all right. That's just what battle is. People get hurt in battle. I'm just hurt. But that's what we're doing. We're walking right past the cross, right, right past our healing telling ourselves that's just the way life is. No, no. That may be the way that life in this corrupt world is, but that is not the way kingdom is, and you are a kingdom citizen now as a follower of Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 You believe that? You believe Leonard believes it. My wife believes it. Do you believe it? Amen. They don't know what to say today, Lord. They're all nervous. It's okay. So, yeah, I've been hurt. And I'm like you. I don't like to dwell on it. I don't like to think about what I've been hurt. But there's another, another statement. I said there were two statements you've got to own up to. One is, I've been hurt. Number two, I've hurt others. That one hurts a little bit, right? I'm t- you may not have meant to hurt anybody, but I'm telling you, people, it's easy to hurt people. We live in a world today that it's easy to hurt people. I'm beginning to realize that if, if I don't believe exactly like other people and exactly the way they want me to believe like them, they're offended at me, and I'm a hater or something like that. I'm like... Jeez, uh, but anyway, that's me having a personal moment. Hang on, hang on. Okay, I'm good now. All right, so I'm not saying that we meant to hurt people, but we have hurt people in our life. And when we've hurt people, we've got to learn to make things right. The Bible says this in Matthew 5, 23. If you're presenting a sacrifice to the altar in the temple, it's Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Isn't that an amazing phrase? I don't really like this phrase, to be honest with you, but uh, if someone has something against you, verse 24, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. That's the goal. The kingdom ideal is that we be reconciled with each other, that relationships stand. That's the kingdom ideal. I'm not saying it's always possible in a broken and a corrupt world, but it is something we should pursue. If we've hurt people or we think we've hurt people, we should find out. Because living in harmony with other believers, with other people, that's part of loving your brother as yourself. Loving others as yourself. And so that's something we should be praying for. And we just need to own up to the fact that we've hurt people. 
Colossians 3.13 says, I'll come back to this verse later, but it says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So I want to give you, I'm about to give you two tools, but I want to use that verse uh, and and James 5.16 to give you a foundation for the two tools. And the foundation for the two tools, I'm going to, two words together. Humility and vulnerability. I have a hard time even saying that word. That's how comfortable I am with it. So, vulnerability and and humility. You know, it shouldn't surprise us that we've hurt other people. But, when someone confronts you about the fact that you've hurt them, now this probably never happens in your marriage or anything. I'm talking like work and stuff like that. (laughs) Nervous laughter. (sighs) When someone confronts you about a way that you have hurt them, What's your automatic? Don't answer out loud. Do you put up your defenses? Arm your tanks? Call in artillery? Is it on like Donkey Kong? Do you know what that means? Yeah, it's 80s. That was when the last music came out. Just kidding. Just kidding. So, I've mentioned this before, and I don't want to go into the story, but there, there's no one I love and want to protect more than my wife. Love this lady. What she endures living with me, no woman should ever have to suffer. I mean, she <laughs> is going straight into heaven. Like, there's not even going to be a check-in. She's in the express lane just for living with me, okay? <clears throat> there are times in, my, in our marriage that she's confronted me about things that I'm doing that are hurting her. She's the last person on this planet I want to hurt, Okay? And, and I find myself, and I didn't even learn this about myself until just, just not too awful long ago. I find myself that when she confronts me, I set up my defenses. And I start arguing with her. And when I am defending me, hear me out, hear me. When I am defending me, I can't hear you. Do you understand? And I probably just described most marital conflict. We both set up our defenses Nobody listens except the neighbors, maybe the kids upstairs, and we go at it, and we solve nothing. James, John Gottman wrote a book on principles of marriage. He's not a Christian counselor, but he's discovered some things uh, through observation and so forth that are actually biblical principle. I love it when the scientific world discovers what God said millennia ago, but in one of his books, he writes that um, 70% of marital conflict is perpetual. Isn't that encouraging? 70% of the stuff we're fighting about today we'll be fighting about in five years. Yay! <laughs> You'd be surprised to know that Paul agrees because Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that if you marry, you will have trouble. If you're having trouble in your marriage, you're on it, man. You are right where you're supposed to be, okay? Just kidding. That comforted nobody, right? Anyway, my point is that in order for us to move on and, and to move out of these places of, of being hurt and hurting people, we begin with a humble place of being open with others. And that's what James is trying to tell us in James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other. Boy, that takes some humility. That takes some vulnerability to open up with someone else and say, I was wrong. It's hard to say I was wrong. Usually we like to say, I was wrong But if you, right, and then we fill in the blank, all of you are going, hey, we just said that last night. All right, so 
Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Have you ever wondered why the confession of sin and powerful prayer are in the same verse, in the same paragraph? Think about it. Okay? 1 Corinthians 2.3, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. What I want to give you here is the idea that humility is a very powerful thing. That humility and vulnerability is a life-changing foundation for all and many of the things that you do. Why? Because our strength is not our strength. Do you hear that? Our strength is not our strength. I like to feel strong. I like to go to the gym, pick up my 15-pound bench press. Ha, 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 ha. Feel strong, do some flies, you know. And I know everybody's watching. They're not. They're not watching at all. I like to feel strong. But God says, and God says, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, that when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. I have wrestled with that verse my entire life. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, God, I'm just weak. I don't feel strong when I'm weak. I don't see strength when I'm weak. When I'm weak, I'm grumpy. My wife doesn't really like me when I'm weak. Or many other times probably, but, you know, she's graceful. You know what I'm saying? When we're weak, we don't feel strong. And here God is teaching us that humility and vulnerability, walking in that low place is a place of power. Jesus demonstrated it, man. John 13. He washed 12 disciples' feet. One of those disciples was about to betray him. And Jesus takes a knee and grabs a towel and some water and washes all their feet. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, in the place of a servant, looking up as he's washing feet at 12 men who have no idea what's happening. They do not get it at all. And he doesn't really explain it to them. He just says, hey, remember this, dudes. And one of those guys was Judas. He taught us that. That getting low, sharing God's truth, in this case through a visual picture. Jesus did that a lot. He often shared truth through an action rather than through a teaching. And so he got on his knees, shared truth through this action, and basically called down grace. I heard, I heard Graham Cook say this week, and it, it blew my mind. He said, sinners call for God's judgment. Saints call for God's grace. I loved it. Man, we... Man, we, that's where the church needs to be today, calling down God's love and grace and the forgiveness of sins. However, I will say that forgiveness of sins requires that you admit that you have sin in your life and that the things you're doing are sins. There's no forgiveness for not sin. And we live in a world that continually keeps saying that everything is not sin. And there's no forgiveness if we can't recognize our sin. But that's another sermon. So yeah, pain's a part of living. As REM put it in 1992, everybody hurts. Last thing I'm going to say before we jump into the fix. There's good pain and there's bad pain. Now the Marines in the house, they're like, it's all good pain. Pain's just a feeling of weakness leaving your body. Right? Is that good? Is it okay? Sound like a DI? Just not loud enough. I know I wanted to go loud, but I didn't want to scare anybody. Good pain produces growth. 
Here's what happens in good pain. When you have good pain, you're going through suffering, and your coping mechanisms for pain are broken down. This is good pain, okay? Those coping mechanisms, they don't work, guys. If you're coping with a situation, you're just living with a problem, okay? So coping is not what you want to do. Jesus did not die so you could cope, all right? And so suffering comes to your life, and God is, the suffering is breaking down those coping mechanisms. It's, it's breaking down what, I think it was Tozer who said, that weak muscle of the soul, that weak muscle of the soul. And we hit a point through the suffering that we realize something. I'm not enough. I'm not strong enough by myself. I don't have it in me. And then we learn to depend on Christ. That's when you make the transition. That's when you start to move in your maturity. When you move from a place of, I got this, to I trust Jesus. Trusting Jesus, that's one of our values around here, okay? And so then real righteousness and real, real growth begin to take place. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, you can read that. We just read that verse, okay? What's bad pain? Bad pain is destructive. You ever hear somebody say, but does it kill you? It'll make you stronger. That's another stupid thing we say, okay? Sometimes if it doesn't kill you, it just leaves you weaker, especially if the product of your suffering is your continued bad choices, I mean, you do dumb things. <laughs> like Jason was telling me the other day, <laughs> how do you say that, man? Dumb, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. <laughs> you better be tough. <laughs> so anyway, if it's a product of our character flaws, a product of our unhealthy life choices, a product of our bad choices, and we don't learn, then it's bad pain. So let's move out of it. Let's not have bad pain in our lives. Move into good pain, and let's move into something that will begin to change things. And so I'm going to give you two tools. And I was talking to the Lord about tools the other night. And he showed, and I knew this, but he showed me that his tools and his weapons are not like ours. And that's confirmed. Think 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, not of the sinful nature. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So I'm giving you two weapons to pull down strongholds. But they don't work in a natural world. They don't work from the, the sinful nature. They work from kingdom and Christ in you. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about grief. And so the Bible says in Matthew 5, 4, have you ever wondered why Jesus said this? God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. God blesses those who mourn. And if I could quote Charlie Brown, first, first Peanuts, 1-1. One, one. <laughs> Good grief. What is grief? And why does Jesus say this? Why does Jesus tell you that it's in mourning that you're going to find your comfort? Grief is God's way of getting finished with the bad stuff in your life. Grief is something God get, gave us after the fall. And it's, that's confirmed in the fact that Jesus Christ said, I'm going to send another comforter. You only need a comforter if you're dealing with grief. Okay? And we have a lot of unresolved grief in our life. And so grief is the process by which we get over it, by which we let it go. And so if it's a process by which we get, get pain over with, then it's also the process by which we are born again. Think about that. 
No person comes to faith in Christ, surrenders to his lordship without grief over their sin. And, and, and if I could correct that just for a second, if you came to Jesus Christ and you kind of picked him out like something off of Amazon during Prime Days, just kidding. <laughs> Like, oh, like, like, like a watch. Oh, that's a nice, I'll have a, a new watch. If you picked Jesus like that, you're missing it. You don't pick Jesus. You surrender to Jesus. Does that make sense? You, su- you surrender to him. And it's a wonderful thing when you do because it cha- it's a life changer. So salvation is, is, is recognizing the grief in your life, the sin, the mistakes, and realizing he's the answer, grieving that, turning from that to him. That's what faith is, looking to Christ. Then you're saved. You surrender to Christ. That's how that works. Grief works the same way in every other aspect of life. You encounter a pain. You experience the sorrow of it. You turn to Christ with it, and he sets you free. Grief is, is powerful stuff. How does grief heal us? Here's some, I love some hows here, okay? Because this is exciting. I think this is exciting. You may not. You may be sitting there and going, what time's lunch? It's okay. You're not getting out of here in time for that anyway. No problem. <laughs> Just kidding. Psalm 34, 18. Hear this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Psalm 61.1, we've already read, he sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. You see, grief is when we choose or surrender to the loss, to the pain, in a sense. Now, the world has taken the grief process and turned it into some, you know, some words. <laughs> That's what they are. You go through this, uh, this cycle of grief, shock. Denial, anger, bargaining, I call it realization, depression, acceptance. That's the the grief cycle. It sounds so organized and orderly. It sounds just like the Western mind came up with it because that's who did. But anyone who's going through grief or has gone through grief knows that there's no cycle to it. It's like being in a raft that's got a hole in it in the middle of the ocean and the waves keep coming and you're just trying not to drown. That's what the average person feels like that's going through a serious grief in their life. And so when we take, though, that grief and we turn to that grief, we turn to Christ in that grief and we begin to acknowledge the loss. This is so important. Because this is why most of us are so stuck. Stuck in our marriages, stuck in our personal growth, stuck as parents, stuck in our careers. Because we have years and years worth of hurt in our life that we have never dealt with. We have never felt the sadness completely. Every time the sadness shows up, we run back to something that makes us happy. And so then we never actually grieve. I believe that the reason that depression is so prominent today, so much of America is on some kind of pill to overcome that anxiety and depression, is because we have never actually walked through and let Jesus heal our sadness. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And that's the last thing we want to do. But if you ever want to be free from the losses, you have to grieve. Hear what I said. If you ever want to be free from the losses, get past your past, you have to grieve. And by putting it off, you're just creating a monster that's going to come back again and again and hurt you and and tear you apart in a way 
Um, I almost made a reference to zombie movies, but I didn't right there. I, okay, maybe I did right at the end there. But anyway. We enter into brokenness, and when we enter it, we enter the pain, we enter the loss, guess who's there? Guess who's waiting? Do you understand that your heartbrokenness today has a God who loves you waiting for you in that moment to heal you and set you free? And the only reason you won't go there is because you're afraid of the pain and you're afraid of the sadness and you're afraid of the loss. But fear is not from God. Do you understand that? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power. And if you could begin to hope again that in this moment of pain in my life that there is a God who wants to meet me there, and you get to meet God in your pain, and he's the comforter to walk you through and out of that pain, it changes things. It gives you hope. Amen? Is that, is that helpful? Grief's a powerful healer. There's some things we should grieve. I know that we've lost loved ones and we have disease and we have big losses in our life that we need to grieve and learn to grieve. Usually, not always, but usually people get help in those big griefs. But you also need to understand there are so many losses in our life that we need to just feel the sadness over. So, let me talk about marriage a second. Uh, I'm not an expert. I've got 32 years of mistakes and a really graceful wife and a whole lot of forgiveness and a God who steps in. But when you get married, the person you marry, you have a, a mental image of what they're going to be. It's probably something like, hey, they love the same thing in life that I do. Me. That's probably where you're starting. I know it's funny, but man, it's the truth. That's really where we begin our relational lives. So, and if you don't ever learn to get past that, you'll just go through relationship and relationship, keep making the wrong, that assumption, and it's, it's just not true. Well, here's the problem. When you are with someone in a marriage, you are with someone, right? I mean, they live with you. That's weird, right? And... They are, you know, all up in your space. And, you know, at first you're like, woohoo, honeymoon in our space. But after a couple of years, you're like, can we get, like, I don't know, you go somewhere? I, I don't know, maybe your own room, maybe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Takes a while to get there, I guess. My point is, is that you imagined your spouse to be something that they're not. They never were. They never could be. Do you hear me? You're not being fair to them, actually. And yes, they're not being fair to you, but I'm not talking about them, I'm talking to you. Unless they're sitting next to you, then I'm talking to them because I'm talking to you. Did you get that? Because I was stuck for a second, but now I'm not stuck anymore. All right. That's a thing you can grieve. Let it go. Grief is how we let go. And in letting go, we are born again. And so that's something I go to my father with, and, and I let go of who I wanted my spouse to be because God did not give you the spouse you wanted. He gave you the spouse he knew you needed. Hey, your wife is a gift from God in Proverbs, man. Your wife is a gift from God. And I know you're sitting there going, wow, he's mad at me. No, I'm just kidding. 
He loves you, and he knows that the wife that you have is going to bring out Jesus in you. And so, some, some of you guys are going, oh, man, it's not Jesus that's coming out right now. How about your children? What parent, before that child gets here, doesn't dream like their whole life? Oh, they're going to be a doctor and take care of me when I'm old. Then they get about 15 and you realize they're probably not even going to like you. <laughs> Those are things you can grieve and let go of. And what do I mean by grieve? I'm talking about entering the sadness. You know, what if a church got together, and I know this would be so unpopular, like there would be two people there probably, but what if we did, instead of the worship celebration, what if we had a worship mourning? A season of sadness. A, a service set up to let go of the hurts. To feel the sadness. Because we never feel it, it never goes away. The reason, we, the reason I have this idea is because Romans 12, 15. Weep with those who weep. Henry Cloud calls it the power of the other. Power of other. You see, to, to grieve something, you've got to let go, right? But if you're going to let go, something's got to hold you. And it's got to be, I know, you know, the Christians in the room are like, yes, God's got me. Yes, he's got you through the hands of your brother or sister. That's how the church works, okay? We're here to hold each other up. And so the power of other is, and this is where vulnerability comes right back in. If I'm too proud to share my pain or sadness with anybody, I'm always on my own. I can't ever actually let go because there's no one to hold me up when I let go. Does that make sense? And so that's the power of the body of Christ. That's the genius of Jesus Christ to, to pull us together and help us walk out and, and actually be free and be done with our past to grieve it. Does that make sense? I just gave you a huge tool, the tool of grief. Try and remember that. That anytime there's, there's this sadness that keeps coming back in my life and I'm running from it, stop running and run to Jesus with it. With it, not away from it. So, grief is a powerful, powerful healer. Oh, and I, I just want to remind you, Sunday's coming. What does that mean? Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows, a man of griefs. He went to the cross and suffered all our grief. By his stripes were healed. He died and was put in a tomb for three days. But Sunday's coming. Jesus rose again. That's what it means to be born again. It means to rise from the dead like Jesus Christ. That's what grief's about. It's about getting to your resurrection. You hear me? Does that make sense? Okay. All right, now, this is the part I know you're excited about. Forgiveness. Like, oh, yes, I was hoping we'd talk about forgiveness today. I am so stoked because I got some people I hate, and I cannot wait to forgive them, right? Okay, you're sitting there looking a little, looking a little coy, but it's okay. We'll be all right. Why, why walk in forgiveness? Why do we forgive people? What is this Christian thing about forgiveness? And I mean, who does it apply to? So just a couple things about forgiveness. And I, and I, I got to go a little quicker here, but Hebrews 12, 15 says this. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. None of you fails to receive the grace of God. Man, that's good. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And I just want to say I've seen this many times, seen someone walking in unforgiveness, and then 
poisoned by it. Because unforgiveness is like drinking poison, wishing that my enemy were getting sick. It's just like, oh, I'll get you. I'm going to drink this hemlock until you go down. Or it's like locking yourself in a debtor's prison because someone else, you feel like someone else owes you something. That's what forgiveness is. Unforgiveness is that it's a debt that you won't forgive. You feel like someone owes you something. So un- unforgiveness just hurts me. And so I don't, I don't want to walk in that. Also, I need forgiveness. Do you need forgiveness? I need forgiveness. And, and I know we live in a world that's not crazy about the idea of forgiveness. I mean, yeah, they are, but they don't actually want to admit there's a, a, a sin to forgive. But there are. And the Bible says in Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So there's that. Right? So, Michael, you had a bad attitude there. No, no, I'm just pointing out. There's that, dude. That's a problem if we're going to hold bitterness against people and think that they owe us. So it's not good for me to harbor unforgiveness. So how do I forgive somebody? How do I forgive somebody? I know, I know. you're used to those sermons like, just do it. Well, this ain't Nike, baby, so 90s reference. All right, <clears throat> how do you forgive somebody who's hurt you? You ready? Pray for them. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, I'm praying for them, brother. I am praying for them. Mm-hmm, yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. You know it. Oh, I know the excuses for unforgiveness, man. I can forgive, but I can't forget can never trust them again, can never open up to them again, I can never be vulnerable again, I'm never going to be heard again. Those are vows. Those vows are broken in Christ, but that's another sermon. And uh, so pray for them. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 43, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I mean really pray. Lord, bless them. Lord, let them discover who you really are. Lord, encourage them today. Lord, give them the promotion. Bless them. Make their marriage great. Really, really pray for them, for their blessing. Okay? Why? They don't have any more problems with God than you do. Do you hear me? They don't have any more problems with God than you do. So pray for them. Lift them up. And they have problems with God just like you do. Also, so pray for them. Then the forgiveness thing. How do we forgive? And I wish I could tell you it was easy. Oh, you know, just go and whatever and just read this and take these seven steps and walk around the block and whatever and you'll forgive them. No, the Bible says in Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's fault and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Generally, if we're struggling forgiving others, usually we're struggling forgiving ourselves. Usually forgiveness is not just an inside-out thing. It's an inside-inside thing. And we're struggling on the inside with the whole issue of forgiveness. But here's the thing. Nobody owes you anything. Nobody owes you anything. No one even owes you to be nice to you. Okay? That cashier at whatever store you go to, I'm going to stop picking on Walmart today, She doesn't owe you a smile at the end. I know that was customer service at one point in time, but that was a different time. She doesn't owe that to you. Or or whatever, other kind of things. So how do I forgive? So you do it like you do just about everything in a Christian life. 
The Holy Spirit empowers you to do it. You go to Jesus for it. So if you're in a place right now and you've got something in your life and you're going, I can't forgive, you are exactly correct. You can't forgive. But that's okay because inside of you lives Jesus Christ, and he is the master forgiver. I mean, he forgave people that didn't even ask forgiveness. It's true. You remember the four guys who brought their friend and tore up the roof, lowered it down so that Jesus could heal him? And what they wanted was Jesus to heal the guy so he could get up and walk. And what Jesus did was say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because that was the real problem, dude. Sin's always the real problem. But nonetheless, if, if we turn to the Holy Spirit to empower us to forgive people and keep pressing into that simple idea, one day you'll let it go. Did I say it was easy? I didn't mention that it was easy, did I? Um, maybe, maybe it's like a lot of things. Maybe it's a process that starts with a decision. It starts with a choice. I choose to forgive. Holy Spirit, empower me to forgive. One thing that would also help if you would stop rehearsing it in your brain, because every time you rehearse it in your brain, you just drive it deeper and deeper and deeper, and it becomes a root of bitterness. And a root of bitterness infects everything in your life and everything your life touches. All of us know people who are bitter. In fact, there are people who are sick just because of bitterness. One thing I want to say, though, and this helped me a great deal, okay? So forgive people. Uh, you need forgiveness. Pray for them. Forgive them. I want you to remember one thing, okay? Forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust are different things. So hear me out. I'm, gonna, I'm not giving you an out here, but I want you to understand there are different things at play here. Forgiveness. There is a way I could actually forgive you without having a conversation with you. I mean, I could. I've, there are things in my life that I've realized, you know what? I'm never going to see this person again, or, there's, or I've tried to deal with it, and they, they can't talk to me about it, or they can't own up to it, or whatever. So... I'm going to let myself out of prison. I'm going to stop drinking the poison, and I say, I forgive them. Holy Spirit, empower me to forgive. Okay? That's forgiveness. Forgiveness covers the past. But the Bible does say be reconciled to one another. That is the ideal. That's the kingdom ideal to be reconciled. What's reconciliation? Reconciliation is we have a conversation. And in the conversation, I say, hey, um, you hurt me. And they may say, well, hey, you hurt me. And then we say, well, let's hurt each other again. No, that's not how that works. It's a different conversation. We, we talk about the reconciliation, and we say, all right, how do we make this right? How do we make the past even? You don't owe me anything. I don't owe you anything. It's covered in the blood. How do we forgive it and done? And it's reconciled. We are at peace with the past, okay? Forgiveness covers the past. Reconciliation is negotiation between two people, fixes the relationship. By the way, the problem that we often deal with in for, with forgiveness is not people, it's the relationship between people. Remember that tin can telephone game that kids played long, long time ago? Maybe if you saw reruns of Little Rascals on Nickelodeon or something, you know, and they're, they're holding those tin cans and they got a string between them and they're trying to talk to each other. Hey, can you hear me? And they go, what? Can you? And you know, that, that, picture that as a relationship. 
In a relationship where we have forgiveness issues, we have bad communication, we have bad relationship, bad line between us. The problem isn't the people. The people are covered in the blood. The people are both sinners. I mean, have both sinners saved by grace. They're both come out of a corrupt background. Both have come from the old man and, and walked into the new. And so the people aren't the issue. The, the relationship is. So that's where reconciliation fixes the line. It says, here, let's throw away that 10-can phone. Let's get a couple iPhones or an Android or whatever you like, and let's talk to each other, okay? But then there's trust. When you make a new friend, we always look at new friends with extra hope, and we always give them a measure of trust. New relationships in our life, new people we know, we always start with kind of, I don't know, the default amount of trust that we give people. And that kind of shrink, can shrink over time as you've been hurt. But what normally happens is we give people that trust, and then they let us down. And so, how do you rebuild trust? And that's the question. Not every relationship needs a lot of trust. If we don't talk during the week, we don't sit down and have coffee, we don't do things together, all we do is meet on Sunday, got to be honest with you, don't need a lot of trust for that. You don't have a lot of impact on my life, I don't have a lot of impact on your life. We don't need trust for that, if that's all our relationship is. But... Now, if we're going to be close friends, if we're going to do things together, we're going to minister to other people, if we're going to serve on a ministry team or be in a small group, we need more trust. If you're going to be married, we need more trust, right? Trust is, so how do you rebuild it when you lose trust? Well, that's something that has to be talked about. comes out of that season of reconciliation. You start investing, giving, loving each other sacrificially, and you build trust. And in a conversation that requires building trust, by the way, there should always be a way for the person to get out of trouble. Sorry, that's my, word, my phrase. There should always be a, a path so that, it, that we're okay again. But nonetheless, think of it in those three ways. It'll help you with forgiveness. I, it has helped me. Make sense? Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> we're going to do something weird. And you're like totally used to that probably. So your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. We're going to do something right now. Hannah, I'm trying to hand you the slides without breaking everything. So, Right now, as we sit here together, we are corporately praying, but I'm talking to you individually. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask the Holy Spirit a question. We're going to ask God a question. Okay? So I want you to think right now what you're dealing with today. Maybe you don't have anything you're dealing with today. That's okay. Would you be patient with us so I could do this for some others? But maybe you're sitting there today, and, and I rattled some things. The Holy Spirit rattled some things, some things that need to be grieved, some, grieved, some things that need to be forgiven. And so here's, I'm asking you this question. This is just Pastor Michael asking you, what are you feeling right now? Don't say it out loud. What are you feeling? Let me pray right quick, and then I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit a question. Father, I ask you to bind every spirit of distraction, of accusation and condemnation in this place in Jesus' name. I bind you, spirits. Only the Holy Spirit reigns right now. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, when's, when's the first time that I can remember feeling what I feel right now? When's the first time I can do it? Just ask him. Just ask him. He may give you a word. He may give you an image. He may transport you straight to the memory. So you're in that memory right now, and the Holy Spirit took you there, and maybe you're struggling with it. It's okay. It's okay. God's still going to speak to you, okay? You ask the Holy Spirit. You remember the first time you felt it. 
you're in that moment right now. I want you to look around in that moment. I want you to tell me where Jesus, I, w- I want you to see where Jesus is in that moment. Where's Jesus? I'm going to have to do this quick because I'm doing it corporately, so please forgive me. You're in that moment. The feeling began, and you see Jesus. I want you to see what he's doing. How's he looking at you? Is he saying anything to you? Okay. In that moment, I want to ask you, do you want Jesus to come to you in that moment? Why don't you just ask him? Just in your mind. Don't say anything out loud. Jesus is with you. Maybe he's holding you. Maybe he's standing beside you. Jesus, is there anything you want to say to this child? Heavenly Father, here we are gathered in the throne room. We came here boldly. We barged right in because you said we could. And there are men and women and young people right now who I am praying are connecting with your son. I hope they're hearing words like forgiveness, peace, it's going to be okay, I'll take you through this. I don't know what they might be hearing from you, but I pray that what they hear right now, you will not let the enemy take from them. You told us a story in the Gospels of how the enemy comes and takes away the seed of the Gospel. And this is a Gospel seed because it's Jesus ministering to his kids, in a sense, washing their feet, but doing it through their memories and imaginations. So, Lord, I pray they would hear from Christ. I pray they would be moved by Christ. And I pray they would be free of the grief, the pain, the brokenness, the mistakes the debts they feel are owed to them. They would walk in freedom. Lord, I also want to pray over communion. As we're about to take this bread and this cup, and we're about to literally, well, I guess symbolically, consume our forgiveness, I pray, Lord, that as we do, that we forgive as we have been forgiven. That as we grieve in your death, we celebrate your resurrection. And we let go of our pain. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to start communion now. Hannah, if you start the music, just come down the center. Grab your bread and dip it in the juice. You can pray with somebody, but circle around the outside and back in. We have one more song when we're done.